0: Hello, you're welcome to If I Were the Minister for Education from OnShaw.net. Episode 62, Repeal the 37th You might not be surprised to hear that before I became a teacher I've been fired from a couple of jobs in my life. My favourite time when I was fired was when I was just finished my first year in college and I really wanted to go to Galway for some reason. So I applied for any kind of summer work there. And of the jobs I applied for, one of them was as a receptionist for the holiday homes in UCG as it was known at the time. Now. I'd absolutely no qualifications in hotel management or reception work, but somehow I blagged the interview and a few weeks later, I packed my bags and moved to Galway. Now, I remember on my first day in that job, I noticed that I was, firstly, I was the only male among the 12 receptionists that were there. And it also became very apparent within minutes that I had no idea what I was doing because I was the only one with absolutely no experience. Everyone else there knew exactly what they were supposed to be doing. And to be fair to myself, um, although I didn't really know what I was doing, I did try my best. Um, Sadly, my luck came to an end when I was given a very special job of making sure that the owners of the campus who were somehow visiting that weekend, were given the correct key to their room. Yes, the owners of the UCG, a holiday homes, were definitely staying in one of the rubbishy dormitories that students stay in. But anyway, <laughs> I was uh, basically given the task of giving them their key to their room, which, which obviously I did. And I was told to double check and triple check, I remember, which I did and definitely put the right key in the right envelope. And the next day, I was told that I had given the owners the wrong key. And guess what happened? Yes, they'd walked into a different room. And you'll never guess what was happening when they walked into that room at that particular time. Yes, indeed. There was a couple in a state of undress, doing unforgivable things. And due to the embarrassment that had caused them, I was fired. Now, I mean... I know I wasn't great at the job, but when they were firing me, they probably could have gone to the bother of making up a better story to fire me with. Um, For example, they could have said that my religious views weren't against the ethos of UCG, but no, wait, they couldn't do that because that's illegal and it only works if you're a teacher working in a school that isn't of the ethos that you were a member of or whatever. Anyway, yes, because incredibly yes, in 2021, it is actually still possible for a teacher to be fired legally if it can be proved that their religious views undermine the ethos of a school. And in this episode of If I Were the Minister for Education, I'll be arguing that the ability to fire or discipline teachers on the grounds of religion must be abolished. Hello, hello, you are very welcome to this episode 62 of If I Were the Minister for Education from OnShaw.net, This is Simon Lewis. So how many teachers do you know that have been fired on the basis of their religious views? None, I suppose. But how many teachers do you know that actually have a different religious view than their school? At least publicly. Hmm. Well, with 99% of the teaching population identifying as white and Irish, and of those 95% identifying as some sort of Christian faith, it's probably not surprising that you don't know that many teachers with outspoken views on religion in education. If any at all. Except me, maybe. But you might hear some of your teaching friends giving out about something to do with religion, and it could be anything, really, and I'll get into some of the reasons people give out about the religion, uh, about a particular religious aspect of their school. Um, but try getting them to say that publicly, and it's very rare that they will. Why is that? You might not be wondering, of course. Why would you be wondering such a thing? Well, the reason is Section 37 of the Employment Equality Act, which gives schools permission discriminate on religious grounds now you might recall back in 2015 there was an amendment passed that stopped schools from discriminating against teachers but it was only for lgbt plus teachers and this meant really that an lgbt plus teacher could no longer be disciplined for undermining the ethos of her school on the basis that she is lgbt so uh, before this was passed in 2015 and um, if you were an lgbt plus teacher by law you could possibly be disciplined or at least overlooked for promotion or some form of indirect discrimination most likely if it could be proved that you being lgbt plus was at odds with the ethos of the school which in a catholic school absolutely um would be and um this uh, this was repealed uh, this bit, this was amended, I suppose, in the in Section 37, that you couldn't be disciplined, legally disciplined, for being LGBT+. Now, in reality, we don't know whether that's um, made any changes to the reality of life because we do know that only 18% of LGBT plus um, teachers are um, comfortable with uh, being out in the workplace. However, keeping with this LGBT plus teacher who can no longer be disciplined, If that same teacher was an atheist, oh, she could be disciplined for undermining the ethos, you see. Now, does that make sense? Well, it shouldn't really, but this is how we do laws in Ireland. You see, we find a problem that is extremely easy to solve, and instead of solving it really easily, what we do is we bolt on a load of amendments to the law, so it becomes completely unwieldy and impossible to break down. And and this is why there's lots of mad things in the edu- Irish education system, and why I often refer to them as Christmas decorations in the attic, all tangled up. No matter what you do with them. So I'm just going to go through in this episode. I'm really going to go through um, some of the some of the ways that uh, I guess, this rule, the section 37, um, affects uh, teachers from minority backgrounds and maybe the reasons why that is. So I just want to give you, uh, before I go on to that, I want to give you an example, a recent example of a simple problem. Um, and, you know, and it was only a few years ago and how we dealt with it because I'm I, I, and going to stick with religion um, and it's not because I'm completely obsessed by it, even though I am. It's, because in general i would say most of the problems associated with the irish education system at primary level are either a direct or indirect result of the con- religious control of schools now you may seem you may think that's unfair of me but hear me out i mean i I mean, I, I can give you lots of examples as to why. But for the purpose of this podcast, let's just stick with this for the moment. Just think of any problem in the education system. I mean, I'll, I'll give you a few examples. Why, why would I leave you hanging like that? Single sex schools. Why do we have single sex schools? Why do they exist in the first place? Because of religious institutions. You couldn't be mixing the boys with the girls. And now, as a result, uh, we have the highest percentage of single sex schools in it, well in in any in any country which is a republic um outside of kind of theocracy the- theocracies uh we have the highest number and by far the highest number of single sex schools in the world um which is <coughs> which is which is due due to the history of um of religious institutions and we'd actually have more if rural ireland didn't face depopulation because back before the 1930s um almost every village had two uh, primary schools a boy's school and a, and a girl's school and due to a law about amalgamations in, in ireland in 1927 i think it was where if, if school had less than 30 pupils the schools nearest schools had to amalgamate which is why there aren't that many single sex schools in or uh, in rural ireland anyway i die i am i divesting no that's something else that should be happening in the education system um I digress, that was the word I was thinking of. Um, Religious institutions are, uh, you know, exactly the reason why we have so many single-sex schools. And why do we have so many schools? In any, like, actually, we still have loads of schools. Now, we don't have as many as we did in 1927. There were over 8,000 primary schools in 1927. We now have uh, just uh, over 3,200. But that's still a lot for the size of our population. And because every parish has to have at least one school and note the word parish. A few years ago, the denominational school system ended up as a big, big, big news story. I mean, really big. And you'll even remember it, it was so big. Because it was so big that the New York Times even cut it as its front page story. It, uh, it, covered, it not only covered the situation, it was the front page of the New York Times. And it was a story of an Irish family who couldn't enrol their child in any school in her postcode or parish, or or any uh, any area within her, within her basic uh, catchment area, and it wasn't because she was late in applying for the schools at all. She had tried to enrol her children, her child, for quite some time. It was the fact that her child was at the bottom of every single uh, school's list in terms of their enrolment policy. Because each school prioritised children of the same faith of the school's ethos. And not only that, they some of those schools prioritised children of a similar faith to the school's ethos. And she found herself bottom of the priority list because... Um, because of that I mean just to explain what that means a bit It means all Catholic schools prioritize Catholic children first Protestant schools prioritize Protestant children Jewish schools prioritize Jewish children and so on And as they were a family who were not raising their child with a specific religion There was no school place for the child and it became a huge story and the term baptism barrier was coined and I'm sure you remember the baptism barrier now even, I, even though I had no reason to be embarrassed, I was embarrassed for this country when that story broke in the Irish Times. Or sorry, in the New York Times. I'd be embarrassed if it was in the Irish Times too, which it was. <laughs> this sort of thing is only supposed to happen in autocratic, theocratic dictatorships, not an independent republic. It was, oh, just my head is actually still in my ha- is in my hands at the moment as I'm saying this. And in a very unsurprising but shocking turn of events, schools all over the country defended the stance, and the CPSMA, who's the manager for these schools, also weighed in saying, you know, kind of denying it was a problem, saying it only affects 4% of children in this country. There's no problem. Like, I'm cringing as I'm saying this. It's, it's just, oh, it's so embarrassing. Anyway, thankfully enough, public pressure came about and the minister at the time um, I suppose uh, in between kind of between Rory Quinn and Richard But, Richard Buten was the guy who did something he decided to actually do something about it so let's look at the problem okay let's look at a cold um, and you know without emotion so the reason why schools wouldn't let local children enrol in them was because they wanted to give priority to children of their own faith no matter where they lived so um, local children who were, let's say, in Catholic schools, they were going to prioritize. Then they went for children outside of their parish who were Catholic. Then some actually went for other Christian denominations as a priority. Um, then they talked about siblings. Then they talked about, and then I think as it went further down, at the very bottom, it was uh other uh, children of other faiths and none, uh, and they were at the very bottom. So it was it, because there was a shortage of school places at the time. Anyone who, who went into that, uh, who fell into that category basically couldn't get a school place. And, um, you know, that, that was the situation. And because 97% of schools are run along religious lines, this was even more difficult um, uh, to, to fix. But it, it, I suppose it wasn't really difficult to fix because the cleanest thing to do, really, and ultimately one of the solutions that was put out there was just to abolish the barrier, the baptism barrier, as it was called. Um, And, in fact, it was one of the options that Richard Bruton put out in a consultation, and we've talked about consultations in the last episode of this uh, podcast. Most of the responses, and I include um, agencies like the INTO, suggested that the best plan would be to completely abolish the the barriers to coming into school, uh, to admissions to school, on religious grounds. But of course, that wasn't what happened. And Richard Bruton decided to go for his own idea, despite putting it out to consultation. I mean, he he was at the very start said, this is what I want to do. Here's a consultation of four different options. And then he went with his own idea, even though most people didn't want to go with that idea. So what we have now, instead of a clean system, is we have an even more complicated system where so-called minority faith schools are still allowed to discriminate on the basis of a religion and all other schools can't. And in essence, that, that's just Catholic schools, basically, um, who can't um, discriminate on religious grounds. Um, they can't prioritise children of their own faith to word it a different way, which in a way is actually discrimination against Catholic schools. Um, why pick on just one religion? Catholic school. Just because something is in the majority does not mean it should be treated differently to um to these other schools. You can't you can't just dis- you can't make a discriminatory law, um and uh on, on like, and then like punish you know uh, one religion and not others. It's it just makes no sense. Uh, when you you know it, it, there's discrimi- discrimination is discrimination, and that's that's all there is to it. Um, but instead of this nice scheme break, as I said, the system for enrolling children now into primary schools is even more complicated than it was before Richard Bruton got his pecs on them. Um, anyway, obviously I know removing the and barrier cleanly wouldn't have solved any of the problems that religion brings into the education system. And actually, uh, when this was all being discussed, I um, I was actually, I, I was against um, <laughs> In a way, I was kind of against the, the, the removal of the baptism, uh, baptism barrier on its own. Um, I, my, my belief was that removing the baptism barrier would do nothing to resolve problems of the religion in school because it's all well and good letting people into a school, but what happens when they get in there? And this is where we have problems of, of indirect, uh, structural and institutionalised racism in schools, where children of different faiths in these schools are uh, treated differently, uh, sent to the back of the classroom to do colouring, um, while religion goes on, or be made to feel like second-class citizens because they aren't part of the um of the of the group. So I mean, I I I, I mean, I thought the lifting of the baptism barrier in Catholic schools, effectively did nothing uh, useful um, for, for the education system, but it certainly took the heat, um, uh, certainly took some heat off the government at the time. But um, fast forward now a couple of years. Uh, as I said, uh, I was right, um, and not that I was the only one saying this. It didn't really achieve anything in terms of religious discrimination because heathens like me and heathens like others, what they have to do, what uh, the, that they now have to allow into the building, um, we, we 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 continued to want more. You know, it wasn't good enough that they let us in. Um, we also didn't want to be indoctrinated into the faith of that school, and we wanted to opt out of religious instruction sake. What more do these barbarians want, I hear, they said. as said many a school, I imagine. And like fish leaping out of the 40 foot, Richard Bruton was back with the admissions bill, which forced schools to clearly outline how they would accommodate children that opted out of religious instruction. Oh, lucky us. Now, if you check your own school's admission policy, you'll notice that your school has almost certainly written the following. For, to clearly outline how children will be accommodated if they are opted out of religious instruction, they will need to make an appointment. Parents need to make an appointment with the school principal to discuss arrangements. Yeah, that, that, that's what you check your school. I absolutely guarantee that's what I will say. It will not clear this, it, it's clearly not specifying by any shape of the imagination how. Um, like how um, opting out works um, and completely flies in the face of what Richard Bruton, in fairness to him, was trying to achieve and Rory Quinn before him and all that kind of stuff. But thankfully, now that Mora Foley is the Minister for Education, she doesn't care about that sort of thing. So schools can rest safely for a while before some upstart from one of those radical left-wing politicians like Rory Quinn gets the education portfolio again. Just for the record, sorry, I better be better better, better say this. I don't think Rurikin was a radical left wing politician, but I imagine by now you realise most of most of what I've said in the last ten, five minutes is completely ridiculous. Anyway, all of it. Anyway, in between all of the shenanigans of re- children being denied school places because they didn't have the right religion, and Richard Bruton trying to force schools to be honest about how they discriminate against children during religion classes, there were a few laws. That seemed to be a wee bit irksome to most people's palates. One was Rule 68. Some of you may remember Rule 68, which stated, Of all parts of the school curriculum, religious instruction is by far the most important. As its subject matter, God's honour and service includes the proper use of all man's faculties. That's literally what it says i can't believe i've used the word literally properly in a sentence yeah i mean i can't even believe back then they even said by far the most important didn't just say it is the most important it's it's a wonderful sentence and includes the proper use of all man's faculties that sounds a bit sexy doesn't it anyway it basically went on to state that religion should inform and permeate throughout the school day and it meant that all schools had to provide some form of faith formation during the school day. Now this is very tricky for patron bodies like Educate Together um, because they don't teach faith formation during what will be known as the school day. So they had to go and find a loophole in the law in order for them to exist, which they did Um, because they were allowed to open in 1978. Um, And this uh, this loophole was, there was no definition for the length of a school day, which meant they were able to offer faith formation classes outside of the normal school day. I mean, that's just a bit of information for you. I actually don't think it was 1978 that they discovered this, because I do know the original Educate Together Schools did teach faith formation during the school day, and I don't know exactly what year they stopped doing it. I think it was the idea that... I think it was the early nineties, but I, I, I stand to be corrected on that. Um, I should have done should have done my research there, but um, sorry about that. Anyway, abolishing Rule sixty eight meant they no longer had to do this, and they were able to cast away. Um, I suppose you might have noticed they were able to cast away that ugly label of being a multi denominational school. Now I don't like um, the term multi denominational because it it sort of implies that. Um, it, it's about uh the the um presence of religions rather than you know also including the absence of religion um and it also can be manipulated very easily which it is and um, if you look at the department of education's uh, definition of multi-denominational schools uh, in the country they have far more uh, multi-denominational schools that exist existing that actually are are really multi- what what we would understand to be multi-denominational in other words no faith formation or no uh, religion being taught during the school day there are several inter-denominational schools which would claim to be multi-denominational uh, schools there are several uh, there are several religious schools that would claim to be multi-denominational they would say we're a multi-denominational uh, school with a christian ethos or something like that they are not multi-denominational so it's a, it's a word that's been bastardized very badly and uh, is meaningless so, uh, thankfully, anyway, educate together, we're able to remove multi-denominational and have something more appropriate, like equality-based, which is what we strive to be. Removing Rule 68, though, basically did nothing in denominational schools. Now, the, the introduction of Rule 68 at its time did do something, something fairly major. What it did, before Rule 68 came along, there was a difference in schools. You had, to, you had to teach a secular curriculum and you had to teach a religious curriculum and they were very separate. And you actually, at, at some point, there were signs where you actually said, this I am teaching religious education now or I'm teaching secular education now, and that was on the door. Um, so basically, um, it, it, the introduction of Rule 68 forced secular and religious instruction to merge um, and therefore religion permeated throughout the school day. Um, and the problem is its removal didn't mean they had to be separated again. So schools effectively still continue to permeate the religious message throughout the curriculum. And as we know, that's most notable in the sex education RSC programme. Um, and uh, that's been in the news in 2021 um, uh, with the RSC programme, which uh, I presume is going to be the next battlefield between church and state. And yes, religion being the cause of yet another uh, complication in the education system. I mean, just think how much simpler life would be if we removed religion from schools, if that actually happened. I mean, even using the very few examples I've listed in this episode, wouldn't the system be so much easier without religion complicating everything? I mean, I think it would anyway. But anyway, nobody really cared about Rule 68 being removed because it didn't really change anything from the vast majority of schools. And Jan O'Sullivan, who removed it, must have been fairly disappointed that there were no celebrations after she did it. Now, to be fair to her, it was one of the least complicated removals of legislation and I genuinely believe she did it for the right reasons. However, I guess she failed to progress other legislation which would have made an impact for minorities, So I don't really feel that bad for her either. One such article, and I'm finally getting to the point of this episode, is Section 37 of the Employment Act, which I mentioned very briefly earlier on. I I do like to give a bit of background, you know. Um, Yes, this is the one that allows schools to discriminate against its employees on the basis of religion. And rather than paraphrasing this section, I want, you to, I want to read the wording of the law in terms of how a school or another or other religious body can discriminate against a person if, and here it is A and B, there's A. It gives more favorable treatment on the religion ground to an employee or a prospective employee over that person where it is reasonable to do so in order to maintain the religious ethos of the institution. Or B, it takes action which is reasonably necessary to prevent an employee or a prospective employee from undermining the religious ethos of the institution. And that action can include dismissal, folks. Now, I imagine some of you might have zoned out when I, or even, uh, maybe not zoned out, uh, your ears may have pricked up, actually, when you saw A. It gives more favourable treatment on a religious ground to an employee or a prospective of, uh, employee over a person where it's reasonable to do so to, in order to maintain the religious ethos of the institution. Now, I don't know if you remember a case, um, I think it's only a couple of years ago, where a priest was given a job in a school over vastly more qualified um, people. I think it was a secondary school. And this is why, this, is, this was entirely legal because of this law. You may have... Uh, noticed that if you were um, of a minority faith in a school um, and I know there's very few of you that there are certain posts of responsibility you may have been passed over you may have noticed if you're of a certain of a of um I don't know let me think uh if you're if you're um of the uh, if you're LGBT plus for example you may have been passed over uh for a promotion because again it might be Reasonable to do so in order to maintain the religious ethos of the institution. Yeah, you may be shocked at that. Part A, really more so than Part B, which is to basically, you know, taking reasonable action to prevent someone from undermining the religious ethos of the institution, which I feel is more worrying. Well, it's they're both as worrying, really. What, what, like, why would you compare? Why would you try and compare the two of them? Um, but I suppose it is highly unlikely a teacher is going to be fired for their religious views or their sexuality and you know i I, there hasn't been a teacher who has been fired because of their religious views in the last 30 years anyway that i know of and yes you know the thing is it is okay for a school to look more favorably on a more devout member of staff i mean it's there in part a of section 37 which might make you you know listen up a little more to this episode because you may be kind of going you're not going to get fired for being Jewish-like. You're not going to get fired for being an atheist or whatever. Yeah, but let, even, even on the impact that it gives more favourable treatment on religious grounds uh, to somebody, over somebody who's not religious, I think you better get your rosary beads out, guys, if you want to. If, uh, um, if you're looking for a promotion. But anyway, all joking aside, part B for me is very worrying for anyone working in a denominational school that doesn't share the religious values of that school. Now I'm not just talking about atheists here, by the way. If you work in a Catholic school, you can legally just be discriminated against for undermining the ethos in any way. Um, And I mean, I know this might sound ludicrous because, and I know it because ultimately, it doesn't really, it, it probably doesn't really happen. But the fact is it can happen. And this is the thing I'm interested in. Just because something doesn't happen doesn't mean it can't legally happen. Once something's in law, and let's say a principal takes a dislike to you, um, they can use this law to overlook you for promotion, or whatever it might be. And it includes not just being an atheist, or a heathen, or whatever, or being as a different religion. I mean, forget that. If you're in a Catholic school, it could include you being a single parent. It could include you cohabitating with a partner uh, where you're not married. It could include you being pregnant outside of marriage. It could include you talking about openly taking contraception. It could include if they found out if you had an abortion. It could include you advocating for LGBT rights. And so on. There are laws out there to protect you from being fired for these so-called misdemeanours, which will override any attempt. But you, they certainly, the schools could make your life more difficult and might overlook you for certain promotions or responsibilities. However, being openly atheist could legally, technically, get you fired because it could be seen that the school must do what it needs to do, including taking whatever action that is reasonably necessary to prevent an employee from undermining the religious ethos of the school. And who better to undermine the religious ethos of a school than someone who doesn't believe in it? And it's also why it's perfect Fine for a school to ask prospective employees because it does mention prospective employees whether they are willing to uphold the ethos of the school if it's a religious ethos. And some people might wonder, is it legal for them to be asking whether I'd uphold the Catholic ethos of a school? And blah 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 blah. blah. That law is why it's okay for them to ask that question, which essentially is really asking you, Are you one of us? It's a worrying position to be in if you work in a religious school and don't share the ethos. You might know in your heart that it's highly unlikely that you would ever be fired because of it. But you also know not to test the water. By saying anything. And this is why so many teachers with minority views can work their whole career pretending to support the ethos of the school, or possibly worse, promoting it. And one example was Peter Gunning, a former principal, Um, who said in an article after he retired, it was relatively easy to be an atheist principal of a Catholic school. All one had to do was to pretend not to be. I want to focus on Peter for a second. He gave an example of Rule 37 in action in an Irish Times article. And this is what he said. I wrote about the divestment process last year, and a few days later, I received an email from the Diocese of Cloyne informi- informing me that I was no longer on the panel of independent assessors for interview selection boards. When I inquired as to why, I was informed that my public stance on church school matters is not compatible with you sitting on ed- selection boards for the appointment of teachers in schools under Catholic patronage. I use this example because it's very hard to find other examples out there because i could talk about my own experiences but i've only worked in one catholic school since qualifying as a teacher and i've shared a number of stories with you over the last couple of years all in the same vein more or less however the example above is completely undeniable this teacher lost a job because he spoke about divestment publicly in the irish times There is nothing illegal about him losing that appointment thanks to section 37. I mentioned earlier that the law changed at the end of 2015 to stop schools from discriminating against staff on the basis of their sexuality. And this happened on the 2nd of December 2015. To be honest, it was an evening. And I know this because on that evening, several TDs, tried to push through another amendment that would have also stopped schools from discriminating against anyone on the basis of religion, not just LGBT teachers. Now, the full debate on this amendment can be read on the Oroctus website very easily. It's oireachtas.ie slash en slash debates slash debate. Don't know why you have debates slash debate. Doll slash 2015 hyphen 12 hyphen 02 slash 59. Now, I don't expect you to remember that, but just Google it. Um, the 2nd of December, 2015, I us and type in religion, or type in LGBT+, plus, um, and you'll, you'll find the debate. And I'll be perfectly honest, and I've said this a number of times, it was the night I stopped voting for the Labour Party. Before that, I always gave Labour Party my number one vote, uh, not because I was I I mean because they were the only party I suppose that I suppose I had compatible views, uh, in most things. But for me, this was the night where I realised they actually, they weren't who they claimed to be. That evening, while several TDs tried to remove that law that essentially prevents people from minorities from working in denominational schools without hiding their beliefs and is and 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 basically. It essentially does this by allowing these schools to overlook them for positions or even dismiss them. The Minister for State at the time, Aidan Riordan, had the chance to support the amendments that other parties had put forward. He had the chance to basically remove the right for schools uh, to discriminate against, uh, against people on the basis of religion. And if you read or if you watch that debate... It, for me, it, it was just unforgivable to me. I mean, uh, if he, he basically tried to talk down the clock and ultimately, I mean, ultimately, even that aside, he voted against the removal of the law. The one law, the one law that discriminates against people like me and other minorities and stops us from being in the teaching profession effectively. And it basically was the law that allows teachers to be fired on religious grounds Alongside, it wasn't just him. Seventy six other TDs voted against that law, and each one of them I have in a list that uh and if I ever meet them, <laughs> I will be so I I well I won't give them peace of mind. I'm too polite like that. But I I you know look if the opportunity ever comes to vote for them, it it's just not going to happen. But interestingly, <laughs> interestingly, of all of that of those seventy seven TDs, um, including Aidan and Reardon, there was one other person in there who voted against this amendment and his name was Rory Quinn the man who wanted to move remove religion from schools and in fair and i suppose i will also have to mention all the other labour tds followed suit labour had their chance to do what rory quinn set out to do when he started his tenure and um, they had their chance to do it that evening and they blew it and I don't think I will ever see another chance as big as this again in my lifetime. I really don't. I mean, I hope I do. There's always this, these these flickers of hope. But I I, gen- I don't think I'm going to get this chance. I don't think I'll see a chance as big as this in my lifetime. I mean, I got an opportunity to speak to Adon. After this, after it, I, I emailed him absolutely disgusted. And he did um, ring me. And, um, you know, it was a private conversation, as I said. So... I don't want to say what he said, but suffice to say his justification for what happened was really disappointing. And when I see him now calling for separation of church and state in the media now that he's in opposition, I just think back to December the second, twenty fifteen, when he could have made it happen. And he chose not to. So essentially that's all there is to talk about on this topic. Almost six years since there was the opportunity to stop schools from disciplining teachers based on their religious beliefs or the beliefs on religion, we remain in the situation where people like me can legally be fired from our job on the basis of our views on religion or our religious views. I'm lucky I work where I work. Otherwise, you can be certain this podcast wouldn't exist. Although some of you might argue that might be a good thing. (laughs) However, it isn't just about me. Although I do remain the only principal of a in the country from a minority faith background however it isn't just about me because this summer the very first irish-born muslim-born teacher graduated from saint pat's and last time i spoke to her she was unable to even secure an interview in a school in a catholic school or in a religious school over the last number of years People tell me the same stories over and over again about how their son or their daughter would have loved to have become a teacher, but because they're a minority faith or have no religion, they give up the dream by the middle of secondary school. Why would anyone put themselves into a position where 97% of future employers wouldn't touch you because of an accident of birth? And even if you do get a job in one of those schools, why would you want to live every day knowing you could be disciplined or overlooked for something because of the same accident of birth. Ultimately, we have to make simple decisions instead of tinkering away at the laws. It's inexcusable that a minority or non-faith teacher could be fired simply because of the fact that they are a minority or non-faith teacher. And if I were the minister for education, I would be removing that right. And to be honest, it would be the first thing I'd do. So there we have it uh that is our episode on <laughs> the re- repeal of section 37 of the employment equality act and uh, not the catchiest of titles uh i'll grant you but uh, i hope you enjoyed uh, this episode uh, and if you did please be sure to tune in every friday evening where i will be dropping i think is the cool term to, uh, to terminology for this kind of thing uh, an episode every week Um, about some aspect of the Irish education system and what I would do if I were the Minister for Education. If you uh, have found this uh, podcast by accident, uh, you can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts and any other podcasting app uh, by searching for either unshot.net or if I were the Minister for Education. I'd really appreciate you subscribing to the podcast so each new episode will be available to you immediately after its release, which is always a little earlier than Friday at 5.59. Please also feel free to review this podcast if you can so others can find it more easily. That's it for me for this week. Thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you again next week. Bye-bye.